On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. Reverend Barber, first of all, um, civil rights is your forte. Preaching is your passion. Um, You do a lot of this about the heart. But abortion is now on the plate for you. This abortion issue that's uh, essentially could possibly challenge Roe v. Wade in the U.S. Supreme Court. What are your thoughts about these states that are coming down with these very strict abortion rules uh, like Alabama? You know, you can't have an abortion past six weeks and at six weeks, you don't even know you're pregnant in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I might make a slight correction. My moral analysis is my passion, which is much broader than just civil rights and and. um and, and, and black people. And I say that intentionally because, you know, that was something Dr. King and others struggled with. People wanted to put them in a box called the civil rights box. So when King started talking about militarism and poverty, they suggested he was outside of the box. And, and so was the case with his wife and others and down through history. You know, Frederick Douglass, they thought he was only concerned about black folk. They didn't understand why he also joined in with the women's suffrage movement and also the Chinese, or uh, the mistreatment of Chinese people. So my deep passion is what we call moral analysis, uh, moral articulation, and moral action. And in light of that, we have to, in this moment, call what we see happening a form of immoral hypocrisy. Now, it's one thing to be hip, hip, a hypocrite, that is to say one thing and do another. It's a totally another thing to be willing to do anything and say anything just to get your way. So... In, for instance, on this issue of the woman's right to choose, first of all, <clears throat> uh, um, this, and, and claim that that is a pro-life position, we have to call out these politicians. The same politicians in, in, in these states that have recently passed these bills, at least four of them refused to expand health care, even though it would have given thousands of women, thousands of children, uh, a family's health care and keep people from dying, number one. Number two, the states that are now saying that they want to, they are for pro-life or the governors and the legislators are pro-life, they are also the states with the highest infant mortality. They are the states with the lowest living wages. They are the states with the highest levels of poverty. They are the states uh, where you see the, 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 uh, the most liberal, if you will, gun laws. So we have to say that their claim to be pro-life is, in fact, a lie. It is a distortion. So then if that's the case, what's going on? Well, one, two things we believe is going on. Number one, there is an attempt to give many of these politicians a quote-unquote moral cover so that we don't pull off the cover and look at all the other immoral actions. So it's about elections. They want the so-called cater to the so-called white evangelical vote. So they pass these bills, say, I'm with the white evangelicalism, but and, and therefore I have the quote-unquote Christian or moral perspective, when in fact Jesus never said anything about half the stuff, that, most of the things they talk about. But he did say something about poverty, how you treat the immigrant, how you treat the stranger, how you treat the least of these. So this is pure politics. It is used to create and divide. We're just trying to hold on to a white evangelical vote to try to hold on to people that if they really understood that these same people that are pushing this 
uh, 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 anti-abortion, and, and even abortion laws that say even if you're raped or you suffer from incest, you, you can't get an abortion. These same people are the ones keeping your health care from you and, and keeping you from having living wages and, and, keep, and let your water be poisoned, your air be poisoned by corporations. These are the same people who don't say anything about immigrants and children and women and mothers being snatched uh, from their children and children being snatched from their mother, brown children on the border. So we have to call it what it is, immoral hypocrisy. Reverend Barber, you have a lot of ministers who are very much behind this um, effort on abortion. Mm-hmm. Roe v. Mm-hmm. Wade, Roe v. Wade um, basically sets a timeline for when you are allowed legally to, up to what point you are allowed legally to have an abortion and when you can't. What are your thoughts as a minister, though? Well, I I am speaking as a minister, even when I said about it's not uh, pro-life as a minister. Number one, if you read all of the Gospels, Jesus didn't say anything about abortion or homosexuality. The two issues that many of these people push to the fore. Number two, uh, there are a lot of ministers also who are not against it. Uh, I mean, who are, who, are, who are for a woman's right to choose. And that is different than being said. If somebody can say, listen, I believe in a woman's right to choose, that doesn't mean they're for, per se, abortion. What it means is they believe the woman has a right to choose. They understand that women, only women, not men, have to make these choices about living, about living with the memory of rape and incest. As a pastor, I have walked with women who have had to make this difficult choice. It is not easy. I have walked with them. I, our community has loved them. They, they, they are welcome in our churches and in my denomination, which is, has uh, almost a million members. They are welcome in our congregations to be who they are, whether they want to own it or not talk about it. But even beyond that, um, I had a grandmother who died in childbirth. My mother lost her mother in childbirth at 12 years old. You know, this, and, and what we have to call out is the, the hypocrisy around trying to say this is the Christian position. Now, it's one thing. You can actually say you're against abortion, but then you can also, in the same term, say, but I'm not for criminalizing it and locking women up as murderers. I'm not for denying abortion. I can be against it, but I'm not against the right for people to make that choice to have it. And I can also be against something but not for locking doctors up for 99 years like they're talking about in Alabama. We have to declare that those who want to limit the moral conversation in the public square and say that where you stand on abortion and where you stand against gay people is, in fact, a Christian moral position, that is just not right. It's not Franklin Graham is not right. Uh, anybody that's not right, it's not biblical. It will not hold up under a strict biblical test. It will not hold up under the test of the gospel that says in the public square. What we really ought to be concerned about is how we treat the poor, how we treat the those of the sick, how we treat the least of these, and how we treat the immigrants. And on those issues, there is an eerie silence by those who claim to be pro-life, which means they're not really pro-life. This is a political ploy. Lastly, we should also note that the people who get into office to pass these laws get into office through voter suppression and racialized gerrymandering. And that is why one of the things we're saying is to corporations who now say they're going to pull out of a state because of its bad abortion laws 
uh, we're saying to those corporations and saying to women's groups, we can't silo these issues anymore. So if you're going to pull out when they pass bad abortion laws or pull out when they pass laws against gay people, we need to unite and pull out at the beginning of the process, and that is when they pass racist voter laws and racist voter uh, gerrymandering laws that rig the elections and allow the people to get in office in the first place who then pass these things. And that's why when I was in Alabama this week, we had the civil rights community there, we had religious people there, we had Planned Parenthood and other women's groups there to say, we understand that the cynical nature of those who, who, who have united against women, and we're going to unite forces against them because we're saying they are not truly pro-life. If they were pro-life, they would be for health care. If they were pro-life, they would be for living wages and lifting up the poor. And we have to challenge that, that so-called moral argument that they're making. So, Reverend Barber, and, 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 and that, that's what I wanted to get to. Your voice is so clear and so strong. Who on the campaign trail right now stands with what you are espousing with this? Well, we're still looking. Um, I'm glad to hear that, uh, to see that after the Poor People's Campaign last year, six weeks of, of, of direct action in 41 states and hearings across this country and bus tours and actions that we're doing, we're at least beginning to see candidates now talk about moral issues, to talk about poverty as a moral issue. Uh, we've seen candidates, uh, as we challenge them, that said there's no way you can change America unless you change the South. So I'm glad to see uh, the candidates Warren and Harris, Booker, and others going to the South. Uh, uh, but we're having a conference, actually, uh, April the 17th to the 19th, and most of the candidates have agreed to come uh, in Washington, D.C., at Trinity College called the Poor People's Mall Action Congress. And at that Congress, we're having them to come, speak to our agenda, uh, nearly 800 poor and impacted people and major denominational leaders and others are going to be there. Uh, but not the, are they not, the, they're not only going to be able to speak, they have to take questions from impacted people, that people that need health care, people that need living wages. And, I'm, and, and we're not necessarily endorsing anybody, but we're waiting to see where do these candidates stand. We've heard uh, Mayor Buttigieg say some powerful things about moral issues and about poverty. Uh, what we're looking for are the policies that follow the words. We're going to be releasing a, a justice poverty budget to, to challenge the lie of scarcity and to say the issue in America is not scarcity, it is priority and the moral will and the political will to do the right thing. So I'm not um, have any one particular person at this point is too early. What I am glad to say is that I know coming to our Congress is, uh, that I know of right now will be uh, Senator Harris, uh, Senator Booker, Senator Warren, Senator Sanders, Mayor uh, uh, Buttigieg. Uh, we've got callback from Vice President Joe Biden. And at least that says, and we invited both sides of the aisle, even the president, <laughs> but at least that says that they recognize or beginning to recognize that they cannot ignore 43.5% of this country that are poor and low wealth. And they cannot ignore the intersex, interlocking injustices of systemic policy racism, poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, and this false moral narrative of religious nationalism. And I'm glad to see that we're beginning to make some headway in that regard. So speaking of the president, <laughs> um, 
some of those that he listens to happen to be Paula White, who uh, at one point was very large in the black church community. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you had a chance to talk to Paula White, who has his ear, Minister Paula White, and also uh, the... the, uh, the Graham. Yeah, Graham, but mostly Paula White and uh-huh. who's what's the minister's name uh, from um, Cleveland, Ohio, who's always up here. I forgot. Oh, yeah, name. yeah, yeah. The brother. Um, I can't think of his name, but I, I know he's Daryl Scott. Pastor Daryl Scott. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who used to always uh, used to also be very big in the black community in black mm-hmm. churches. If you had a chance to talk to them, what would you say in reference to this? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting when we talk about them being black in the big of the black community because when you look at the the large black, like the National Baptist, the Kojic Church, the AME, AME Zion, uh, even uh, the, the, the churches like, I'm in the Christian Church of Cyprus Christ, probably white, but has a strong minority population or UCC, they are not big in those circles. Uh, they are big in the circles that have, and it's a long story that that have been created, uh, uh, and 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 were forged, and a lot of them were funded through uh, um, uh, uh, the majority, uh the Falwell, the Oral Roberts, and those kinds of entities. Uh, my good friend, for instance, Bishop Carl, who used to be there, he's not there anymore. And 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 many uh, there are studies to say how many young people are actually leaving so-called white evangelicalism and that particular brand of thinking. However, they did get a, a major platform through Trump. And one of the things that we've actually challenged, Paula White, Jerry Falwell, and um, Franklin Graham to a debate. Uh, we, Joy Reid actually announced it on her show. We said we, with myself, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, Bishop Yvette Flunder, uh, Reverend Dr. Tracy Blackman, uh, Reverend Jonathan Hartgrove, we want to have this conversation face-to-face because we have some deep questions because we see them saying so much about what Jesus says so little and so little about what Jesus says so much. And we, we want to say, how is it that you... And, and they must be challenged. They must be called to account and said, you can, you can say these are your opinions, but you cannot continue in the name of Christ, in the name of God, in the name of Christianity, uh, without being challenged. You cannot continue to promote that what you are supporting and those president's policies are, are rooted in our deepest moral and religious values. To continue to do that means that you have moved to heresy. And I would say that directly. When you go in and pray for president's success, P-R-A-Y, and you know that president is praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, on the poor, and praying on brown skin, Latino people, mothers and children, and praying on uh, 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 people of color through the exacerbation of white supremacy in policy and in words. When you know that is going on, and you know the deep values that Jesus laid out, for instance, to continue to do that, is to engage in modern-day heresy. And those are strong words, but it's truthful. And that is why we have to challenge it now, because what is happening too often, April, is people are putting on the title minister, then saying, then engaging in political talk that is not rooted in 
in what we call the red letters of the Bible, what Jesus said. <laughs> but they are moved, but because they have the title minister, people then assume that it is in accordance with the red letters or the scriptures, and many times it's not. And it's a requirement of us. And so what I say is it's not so much what they are doing, it's what we are doing, which is why on June the 12th at 10 o'clock at New York Presbyterian Church on Pennsylvania Avenue, Jews, Muslims, and Christians from all over this country, hundreds of us, will be gathering there, then walking straight down Pennsylvania Avenue and going to the gate of the White House to demand that the president and his chaplains and his enablers must repent and must be challenged based on the scripture in the, in the Bible in Jeremiah 22 and Matthew 23, 23, because they are engaging in policies that are diametrically opposed to our deepest moral and religious values and our deepest constitutional values. And we are going there to issue a prophetic indictment. And lastly, sir, you haven't had a meeting with the president yet, have you? No, and we asked for one. Uh, when, when he was first elected, a group of clergy, a great group of us, uh, actually penned a certified letter before he ever took his oath of office uh, to, to do what prophets are supposed to, and that is to go into the religious leaders and warn them and remind them that they do not have a, uh, uh, a freedom to just do anything they want to do without being challenged. Uh, we've not... Um, uh, heard from that since 2017. Uh, and, and if you notice, uh, President Trump will only go around those court chaplains that he has that will tell him what he wants to hear. And if you look at the biblical record from Moses to Jesus to Paul, the true prophets, the true men and women of God never just went in to any political person and told them only what they wanted to hear. In fact, uh, tonight I'm actually at McCormick Seminary here in Chicago, and there's a scripture in the book of Daniel. When Daniel warned Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was loud, he always talked about how great he was, so forth and so on. And Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, unless you repent and do right by the poor, your nation will never be stable, and your rule will never be stable. That's actually a scripture in the Bible, a warning to Nebuchadnezzar, who always went around saying, look at how great I am. Look at how great I have made Babylon. Look at how great I have done this, that, or the other. And Daniel said, unless you repent and do right by the poor, then your kingdom will not be stable. Wow. Um, and that was written how many thousands of years ago? That was written 2,500 2, years ago. And in 2019? Hmm. In 2019, there was a direct parallel to, to, to what uh, Daniel warned Nicodemus, I mean Nebuchadnezzar about, and the kinds of things, antics that we're seeing. In fact, tonight I'm actually doing a sermon entitled Avoiding, uh, Advice for Avoiding Inevitable Insanity. 
And I'm going to talk about how America has faced these periods of insanity when political leaders thought, refused to listen to the two covenants that we have in this culture, our religious covenant and our constitutional covenant. And, and, and it has led us into some terrible places. And I believe that right now we are beginning to see the signs and the jerks of insanity, the kind of press conferences we're seeing, the craziness that's going on, uh, the, the, the things that just don't make any sense at all, uh, because we are in a, in a time where policy is being done, and it seems that all that matters is the wealthy and gloating and brag, bragging and boasting. And the scriptures are clear that pride cometh before the fall. And so this is a time that people of faith don't need to be misled by some people and their, their claim to be pro-life because of abortion laws. We need to go to the red letters of what Jesus said. Went out, he said, I will, I say to every nation, here is your public policy you need to be concerned about. When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was a stranger, an immigrant, did you invite me in? When I was sick, did you care about me? Those are the things that we ought to be demanding, the upfront center place in our government. And anything less is a violation and an impeachable offense against our deepest religious and moral values. And I know I said that that was going to be the last question, but if you had a chance to talk to President Trump by yourself, mm -hmm. what would you say? And what would you ask? Well, I wouldn't go by myself, number one, because the Bible says two or three, the witness, God's word is always confirmed by two or three witnesses. But if I did have a chance to sit down and text, text him, first of all, since he claims that he wants to hear what preachers say, I would take a Bible and I would open at least seven of the 2,000 texts in the Bible that talk about how rulers and nations are supposed to live in relationship to the poor. Then I would pull out the Constitution that evidently he has not read, and I would remind him of the four fundamental foundations that our liberty must be built upon. The establishment of justice, the ensuring of domestic tranquility, not domestic division, the providing for the common defense, not providing for the defense of just a few, and the promoting of the general welfare of all people, not the general welfare of the, the highest and the wealthy. And then I would say, Mr. President, when you look at your policies, you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. You and those, of those that don't have the courage to stand up to you in the Congress are engaging in policies that are taking us backwards, and you will not ultimately win. Justice will ultimately win. And you have an opportunity to repent. It is shameful, Mr. President. It is shameful. And I would talk to him as a human being. I might even call him Donald because it ain't about the power. It is shameful for a human being to have as much power as you now have as a president who didn't even win the, 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 the uh, uh, majority of the vote, got in through the racist uh, electoral college, voter suppression, and some other things. But you have the power, and it is a shame for you to get up every morning and think that the only thing you can do with that power is malign people, is, is do 
vast policies for the greedy. It's to boast. It's to engage in racist talk, racist policies that hurt immigrants and lie. And you have a chance to stop it and turn. And you know what, Donald, if you did, you could actually be the biggest comeback story in history. But if you don't, not only are you going to lose, but you're going to go down history as a human being who wasted opportunity, wasted power, wasted love, wasted um, life because you couldn't get past your greed and your racism. Reverend Barber, thank you. It's always a pleasure to listen to you um, and learn and hear. (laughs) Bless you. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.